Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 144 of Two Teachers Talking. Charles and I get together each month and talk about uh, teaching English, specifically teaching English in Japan. Um, today, we've got uh, kind of a two-part um, discussion. But first, we'll do a kind of a fast recap and a, maybe a summary of of uh, last month's um, podcast. Because we went over, it went long. We didn't have any time for analysis or anything. Uh, and uh, it being the beginning of the year, Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, um, Happy New Year, everyone. We'll kind of do a sit rep, kind of a state of the teaching situation, um, kind of look and see over the past couple of years what we've learned, what we've observed, and uh, try to you know very carefully <laughs> throw out some predictions about what we think might lie ahead. Crystal ball time. Yeah. My crystal ball is really cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of our crystal ball balls are cloudy. <laughs> cloudy, <laughs> foggy. <laughs> and you know what? No matter how much I, I use a, a lens cleaning cloth on it, it doesn't It help. doesn't work. It doesn't work. So it's always funny. It's like cataracts. You need surgery. You know, I should actually write down my predictions each year and then <laughs> – See how many are wrong, which is actually why bother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Hundred percent inaccuracy, right? But unfortunately for us, you know, we, you know, we we do the podcast. We go on record, and well, yeah, it's you not, go it's ahead. There, you go back <laughs> we can't and review run. everything. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think it. You know, because later well, later on we'll be talking a little bit about, and you know, of course, with teaching now. I mean, the 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 the, the, the elephant sitting in your lap is is the whole COVID situation, and um, I, I wonder think, where uh, it's going to be by the time this episode airs. Well, yeah, that's 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 the thing, and uh, the other, I think, the interesting thing would be to, as you said, look, go back, but uh, back to like March, April, two thousand twenty. Um, and what we kind of were thinking at that time, right? Okay. And contrast it with what, where we are now. Okay. But um, I think, because I, I, I did it last year. I did, I'll say it last year, at, uh, toward the end of uh, the year. Because I was just curious. You know, I was like, okay, so this is what we think the year is going to be like. And this is how it turned out. And yeah, in spring of 2020, we thought, you know, this is a three, four month thing. Ha -ha. I never did. Uh, I never did. <laughs> I think I'm on record about that. I Careful. It, uh, <laughs> Careful. I'll risk it. I'm pretty sure that mm -hmm. I said that this is not going to be over in a few months. I think we both said that. Be careful now. I, think, I, think, I said, I think. I think we both said that. <laughs> oh, I see. So if you put I think in front, then uh, you're safe. Mm -hmm. Well. I think, I believe. It's possible. It's possibly likely. I wonder how many ways I can hedge this. <laughs> but uh, – yeah, Tony, let's get started. What do you okay. think about um, our previous episode? Okay, and so these yeah, are, last, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, these are people you you know. I, know, I, knew, I knew one of them. Okay. I knew one. I Why knew Davina. Get, okay, so you knew Davina. So yeah, Davina and I go back uh, a long way, over 25 years. It's a long time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. And just to recap for people, so you knew Davi you know Davina, mm -hmm. 
And then how were the people chosen? How did you get the invitations out? Just to recap on this. Okay. And so uh, one was uh, one person, Devin Robinson, again, she, and she's been a friend, colleague for many, many years. Um, Rachel Patterson um, works uh, with Allison at, uh, at Kindai. Uh, she's part of the uh, Berlitz component there, uh, involved with some of the international programs. So that was my... Uh, connection to Rachel and uh, Avril Hey Matsui uh, is a friend colleague of Davina, and uh, I think Rachel might know her as well. But uh, Avril is uh, very active. I mean, she and a researcher. She's uh, finishing up her PhD um, in this area, and. Uh, so that's that was that, and um, can I can I roll? Oh, please go. Okay, so um, so that's um, you know, well, we went on the big uh, issues was we talked about numbers, right? And it's, it was you know hard to find uh, people talk about Japan being you know, Japan's not really a homogenous country, and it's like, well, I'm, I, if you look at the numbers, <laughs> it's like you know. Minorities in Japan are le- less than three percent. In two thousand eighteen, it was two point two percent. And so, if ninety seven percent of your uh, population is like one, it is pretty much the definition of homogeneous. <laughs> it's it, it and, and so our numbers are really small. So not a big selection. But I'm really um, uh, sad. I guess it's it's too bad. I regret that uh, we didn't have any male representation. Yeah, that would have been really interesting. Yeah, because I think. As we talked about, like you know, the the you know some, the observations, the experiences, um, going to microaggressions, et cetera, et cetera, and um, it's really hard to kind of figure out. It's like, is this okay? Is this a a race thing? I mean, is it because you're black? Is it because you're not Japanese? Is it because you're female? Yeah, um, who who knows? Right? It could be any of those things. I think that was discussed by the participants a little bit but mm-hmm. as far as i know that's actually the a, a really good example of intersectionality and how yeah. it should be used but tony before you go on i just want to make a comment about the numbers that you talked about mm-hmm. what was the percentage of non-japanese did you say like 2.3 percent 2.2 percent 2.2 percent 2018 and of those that 2.2 percent that's non-Japanese, probably 95, 99 percent have got to be located in the major urban areas. Sure. So that people who are in smaller areas or outside, um, it's truly homogenous. Yes. And the only, the only foreigners you're going to get there is, is maybe some foreign farm workers and maybe a, a jet. A, a jet, local exactly. Right. So I just wanted to comment that – I. I agree with you that overall, I think it really is a homogenous society. And if you, and I know that if I go to downtown Osaka, you know, I live in Kobe and um, in the suburbs, but, you know, when I go to downtown Osaka, it's like, wow, there's a lot of foreigners here. And then I get <laughs> there's on the train. Two. <laughs> there's <Right>. one. <laughs> and then when I get on the train to go back home, it's like that's pretty homogenous. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so anyway, mm-hmm. I'm sorry I interrupted, but I just wanted to make the no, comment no. on the on the demographics there. Yeah, and it's and, and with that, given that situation, with uh, 
it's you know not really surprising, and I'm not saying it's, it's excusable, but it's not surprising that that lack of exposure it inevitably leads to ignorance, fear, misunderstanding, stereotyping, prejudice, discrimination. This is what happens when, um, you know, when you have those kinds of numbers. And uh, we, we kind of talked about that at the end of the podcast. Um, I think it's also a valid point is that, you know, if, again, like for you and I, you know, white males of a certain age, we kind of have like the the, the best of, the, of that situation. Um, but if you are, for example, black or even, for example, some other non-Japanese, non, you know, foreign born you know whether it's from Malaysia or from uh, you know South America, um, and yeah, and again, the more visibly different you are, the more difficult it's going to be. So, um, I think one of the big points that we we got from the discussion was uh, the importance of exposure. Uh, and uh, Davina at the end was talking a lot about how using you know using the example of you know, your favorite actor, actor, actress. Um, musical artist how that can can make a difference and uh it was it was funny she used the um, example of denzel washington and and after the, the at the after we stopped recording when we we, we we i was talking with her about you know as a matter of fact that at one of my universities i used a textbook and one of the discussions was a guy whose uncle was denzel washington and it says yeah so it's it's not it's it's there um and I think without making one's classroom a soapbox, which, you know, I think we've discussed before, um, I think the title is Missionary something, right? You know, the, the role of, you know, bringing social issues into the classroom. Without crossing any lines whatsoever, um, it doesn't hurt to encourage some awareness the same way that we, um, in just teaching basic English, uh, also introduce bigger ideas and things that um of the world that uh are not necessarily part of of japan um and uh with you know when i was you know teaching the the interculture classes that was that was the whole class always bringing in ideas that challenged the their basic assumptions and their experiences um and you know bringing that to them and saying no this is you know how it is out there um and uh, I think, yeah, aware, yes, kind of an awareness of um, a teacher is like what you're doing, what you're saying, and kind of you know check the the, the catchphrase, not checking your privilege. One of the other things that I, that I really liked that came out is the way that they all uh, talked about uh, encouraging, for example, with colleagues. So if you're not sure, don't be afraid to ask. Mm. Is this offensive? <laughs> it's like because you know it's like because I think that would be you know, something that people might hesitate to do, right? Um, not sure if you're not sure, and they're very upfront. So it's like you know, saying if you're not sure, ask. I'm saying, Dum, okay, well, that sounds pretty good. So anyway, I think the takeaways um, one, just like, kind of just some awareness in our teaching about. Not perpetuating stereotypes of, of, of any kind, right? And, uh, you know, broadening students' awareness and uh, uh, c- comprehension, you know, view of the world, a wide world, wider world view. Um, 
and also um, kind of to be mindful of um, colleague interaction, you know, whether it's as, as, as to a superior or to someone who's to, for, for, to whom you're a superior. Um, kind of, you know, be aware and uh, kind of look and see what you're saying, what you're doing, and um, making sure. So, yeah, yeah, one of the things that, you know, it's, it's, and, and I think a lot of us are guilty of this, people say, well, Okay, okay, Tony, well and good. I'm not racist, but, and then inevitably what follows is some racist statement. And it, it could be racism, it could be homophobia. I say, oh, I'm not homophobic, but blah, blah, blah. And inevitably what comes up, and it's that, it's exactly that kind of lack of awareness. It's like to be using <laughs> a racist statement to prove that you're not a racist or or homophobic or whatever it might be, misogynistic, and you put in whatever you want to put in there. Um, but um, some self-examination, I think, might go a long way, not only about your own ideas, but also, you know, how you present yourself or ideas or uh, materials in classes. And I think it was, it was Rachel was talking about a couple of sources that, um, for the images that you use, you know, you know for like in a presentation and so forth, um, they don't always have to be white people. So I think that kind of sums it up. Anything you want to add or ask? I think you, you covered most of the bases very well. I think the idea of just being aware mm. and being aware of what you're not aware, you know, you, you know, the unknown unknowns. But the thing that I tell my students and I try to always remember for myself is that the isms we're guilty of haven't even been named yet. And they'll be discovered in the next 10 to 20 years, 30 years, that the things we're doing, um, we only know about them because people help us become aware. Mm -hmm. We're dependent on other people. And so that point of, um, as you said, of don't be scared to ask your colleagues. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's really, really good advice because there's so many things I just don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And um I'll be, I know some things just based on my wife's experience, you know, a Japanese woman trying to succeed in, you know, the, the business world, for example, or the workspace, the workplace and what she goes through and has gone through. So, but that's not something that I've experienced because, mm. uh, as you pointed out, we're, we came to Japan at a time where there were a lot of benefits yeah, and still are for, you know, people in our demographic, but... And, I, yeah, I thought it's a, it's a useful, helpful, informative discussion that people should really listen to carefully and think about. So that's all I have to say on that, really, right now. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't yeah, want to stick my – yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. All right. So, so – um, yeah, thanks for the, arranging that, Tony, by the way, organizing oh, no, that. No. And thank you to all the participants for – taking their time for, you know, sharing their thoughts and feelings and ideas. Yeah, it was, it was in the back of my mind for a long time. I just right. didn't know how and when to, pull, to, to attempt to pull it off. But, um, yeah, I'm glad we, well, glad we did that. Okay. So shall we move to part two? Yeah, then? part two. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, it's a kind of a turning point. It's the, it's the end of the calendar year and the end of the academic year is looming. So you know, it's kind of appropriate to look back and look ahead 
And um, you know, again, as I said at the very beginning, it's in, right these days. It's impossible to do that without, um, you know, the the big the big factor is you know COVID and um, the differences or you know the different modes of teaching. When you know whether you're in you know in the classroom or whether you're online or some other combination thereof. Um, ending up with the second year of this. Um, and I don't know, it's a, Charles, like, so what have you seen? I mean, like with, uh, like, so this year you've gone back, like you've gone back to some face-to-face class experience. I don't know what's happening right now. I and mean, nobody does because with the new variants of the Omicron stuff, who, who knows what's going to happen or even what's happening right now. Um, but when you have been in the classroom, um, anything different? What's, what's working? What's not? What's easier? It's harder. I mean, like has some of that, uh, tech stuff that you did online, is that finding its way into the classroom, into your teaching at all? Um, how are you teaching differently in the classroom? Okay. Well, first off, the worst possible situation has been when they've said, do a hybrid. So, you know, do a face-to-face class, but also do a Zoom session at the same time. That's so unreasonable. That is just like, okay, you know, if you're not going to give me a camera that is going to f- voice track whoever is speaking, mm. <laughs> right, <laughs> and is not going to follow me as I walk in front of the board and write things down and stuff, don't, don't, just don't. That's just unreasonable. It's impossible. I don't know a single teacher who likes it. It's been one of the major complaints by people. Sure. Yeah, you can't you just, pull that off. It's two. It's two different things. Well, if if we had the right tech, if for example I had a crew, you know, there was you know two or three video cameras, right? Yeah. With wireless mics, for example, that were going into recording, I might be able to do it. But that's just not going to happen. What what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to put your laptop in front of you <laughs> while you talk, but then you're you know you need the board, right? So that's the um, that's just a recipe for disaster, right? You know the old what is it the old Zen Cohen when you walk walk when you run run but whatever you do don't wobble. Yeah, and this, this sounds think, a lot like trying to eat soup while you're dancing. Yeah, well, that's an image I've never. Thought of. <laughs> well, it's impossible, right? It's well, a, once I have that what, image, it's like you know <laughs> I, I probably do know some people who like you know were dancers who could do it <laughs> but def- i can't even eat soup at the table without spilling so let's just move on so i think that that's an example of one of these just nonsensical ridiculous solutions that's been you know just like should have been just dumped right away yeah and i'm sure that people got feedback and i know that that was a major complaint from a lot of my colleagues was just that that's just impossible well it's, and it comes from a mindset again for people who've who've not been in the classroom or been in a, in a language communication language communication classroom um and from a point of view of like a straight lecture um if you translate the you know the, the board to like some kind of digital thing it's like for them it's like well what's the big deal but Thing, you know, that's because there's a complete lack of understanding of what um, a language communication class is or should be. And it's, they just don't get any idea of how impossible that would be to pull off. Right. So, yeah, you get this weird situation, exactly, where 
you have all the students on Zoom so that the students who are not in Zoom can participate in the breakout rooms that you create, right? So then you have, <laughs> right? Or yep. It's just, I'd, I, if somebody's been able to figure out how to do it, I'd really love to hear from them. But again, it seems to me like, as you have pointed out, this is somebody who's either not been in the classroom or simply gives lectures and has did not even spend 10 minutes trying to think through the logistics. Mm. Or did you even ever do a Zoom session? Because either do the face-to-face or do the Zoom session. I can recreate a lot of what I do in my classroom with breakout rooms. Mm-hmm. And it's not perfect, but it's a pretty close simulation, mm-hmm. approximation mm-hmm. of what's happening. But I can't do both and I just I found that really frustrating and irritating and I just stopped doing it so that's one thing um, and so you asking about the tech stuff right um, the thing I found out and students have really voted strongly for this is I've done a B testing using um, a microphone and like the microphone on the webcam so I have a dedicated microphone and it's a pretty good microphone and it's or and I can also I've tried my good USB or not a good USB. I mean, what's the Samson we used was pretty inexpensive, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was it 7000 yen or something? It's like right around there. OK, yeah. which I consider to be an inexpensive piece of tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and the students just when I say, OK, which sounds better, this or this? And they just all go use the microphone, use the microphone, please. And again, I'm going to suggest that you have non-native speak listeners, speakers, and think about it this way. They're non-native listeners. And I don't know why we don't say that. <laughs> non-native <laughs> listeners where the sound quality can have a pretty sure. major impact on how much they hear and making it as clear as possible. So that's that. Um, and also the – other thing is just uh, tech-wise is uh, just be aware of the positioning of your camera. <laughs> so I've seen some people. I hate looking up people's noses. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Right? Or, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's that. So those are some of the just initial, you know, grumpy gripes <laughs> I have. Um, and a grumpy gripe is different from a gripe, by the way. <laughs> Although some people think they're the same. Um is there any is there anything that um the zoom experience uh, has is, is there some way that the zoom experience either for you or for the students has made things better in the classroom? That's a really good question. I don't know. Uh, you're talking about translating to face to face? Yeah. Um no. <laughs> <laughs> I have the opposite opinion that the Zoom, what happens in Zoom translates negatively into the classroom. And I think one of the things I've noticed is that the students think that, you know, you can't see that they're looking at their phones in class because they're able to look at their, they think they're able to look at their phones while in a Zoom session too. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of, uh, you know, the, the, the face to face, um, the amount of talking, I think, has declined to some degree, um, just a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of the students are happier to be face-to-face than in class, but I'll, I'll talk about this in a second. Uh, I think 
that what's noticeable is that those students, let's say first year students who have only been in, let's say, English language classes in Zoom and then go face to face is somewhat similar to students who did not get actual face to face classroom experience when, let's say, in like, you know, kindergarten Mm -hmm. where you're socializing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the socialization, the kind of um, dynamics that I try to create in you know, first-year classes from mm-hmm. the beginning of the semester, those don't really exist. You know, the constant, you know, say hello, the aisatsu, uh, you know, greetings, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those are not there. Um, and I have to constantly remind students about that. Uh, there's, a, there's a disconnect that just seems um, – I can feel it, but I can't really identify exactly what – makes me feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's um, the pos- oh, there is a positive, which is that students are bringing computers to the classroom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which could be a positive or a negative, but I prefer the computers to the uh, to phones, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because on the phones, I know that they're just constantly reading their messages. The overall feeling is that I have students who are quite not comfortable with face-to-face interactions in the language classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not a a real super strong feeling, but there's just a level that they're just not used to each other yet Mm -hmm. and dealing with each other. But on the other hand, they're all talking through these these plastic barriers. Yeah, and masks, right? Yeah, which is not the technical. Exactly, exactly. And that just, I think that's far more damaging than any negative effect Zoom can have. They can't see facial expressions. I can't understand anything my students are saying, Mm. right? Because they're talking through masks and I've got these plastic, um, (laughs) you know, those plastic barriers they put in front of them, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is like, what's the point? It's just Mm. pushing the any viral material into the air vertically like it hits it's not like mm-hmm. absorbing it right mm-hmm. um and i'm not a scientist so i could be wrong i usually am wrong but i overall i don't i'm gonna sw- now i'm gonna segue into that i find it for myself as an instructor really uncomfortable i have to stand far away from my students um nobody's comfortable with me walking around the room mm-hmm. okay uh Nobody, as a, there's been a decrease in the amount of student talking, conversation, and I don't know if that's just due to uh, um, me or some other situation. So I've been is going that, on. Is that both like classroom talk or is it also like per, their own personal communication in their native language? Is it both? Yeah, you know, that's a, it's a, another good question. They seem to be talking with each other, but I – it seemed to, you know, that, you know, you've put in, now you've just, you know, increased the amount of, you know, what what's technically called effective filters, right? Mm-hmm. You've just, you know, you've made an environment that's less comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so here they are speaking in a, a, you know, they're not in their native language. Some of them are confident, some of them are not, some of them like it, some of them don't. And now I've got these weird barriers and rules and masks and things and, yeah. I just um, find it – I don't see – okay, I can definitely say this. is I, I don't see any 
of the levels of joy I used to see in the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, there would be times, you know, where you can really see the students are having fun. They're Mm -hmm. joyous. Mm -hmm. And that feeling you get when you know things are clicking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And I haven't felt anything click. Mm. And again, this could be me not being able to adapt, but yes, maybe uh, that's just the world. It could be. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, it's twenty twenty one, right? I can blame it on that, <sighs> but I think part of it is just uh, I really don't see why a lang- how a language classroom with plastic barriers and students in masks is better than a breakout room yeah. in Zoom. It's yeah. my general feeling. Yeah, I'm just curious because I never, I didn't have the chance to go back to right, the classroom. You're not teaching right? anymore, right? I'm not teaching, and so my last year was 100% Zoom, basically. I mean, there's some on some on demand things, but not not much. Um, and I'm just wondering what the you know return to the classroom might reveal. Uh, kind of mm-hmm. curious. So, well, what do you think long term? I mean, um, eventually, <laughs> one would think that this. Um, this plague will end, and uh, everyone will back be back in a in a real classroom, and maybe without maybe without those barriers. And well, I don't know. I don't know if the mask is going to go away. But um, what do you think it's going to be like? Nothing will going change, to change in any way, or be the same. No, thing? no, nothing <laughs> will change. Um, I should. I should add something, though, that I, I think mm. I, I didn't mention before, but mm. I think this is how my teaching has changed, if that's something you want me to address. Yeah, yeah, please. Sure. Which is um, a lot of the stuff I had was on demand the other year, and there were some on-demand things <clears throat> this year. What I started doing is um, having the students go – when it's um, an online class, a Zoom session – is and I'll do this um, next year if we go face to face. Is I have the students watch the videos I made for the on demand that is that fits the subject I'm teaching. There you go. Okay. And they go into breakout rooms and they watch together. And this lets them decide: Do you want to use closed captions? Do you want to listen to it at a slower speed? Do you want to listen to it without any captions? In other words, it's that. Um, idea that it actually allows you know individualized learning sure i like that i like that a lot right and so they watch the videos together they can discuss it they can talk about it and then i can give them just like you know a couple questions now answer these questions in your breakout room together make sure you understand it that i think has been a positive impact of the technology uh whether or not people incorporate that into their classrooms i'm not sure Mm. Um, so for example, there's a class I have to teach where there is, it's an omnibus course where there's a number of professors teaching it and I have my, my number of sessions and I've, I'm actually arguing that, you know, my, mine should actually be on demand because mine is in English and these are not English majors who are taking this course and they're listening to me, you know, there's a 90 minute lecture basically, because, you know, it's 120 students in one room. Mm-hmm. Pretty hard to do group work, although I've managed to do it, but it's challenging. Mm-hmm. That You know, there is an example where something should be on demand, even if there is no COVID situation. Mm-hmm. 
because the students who have good English skills can just zip right through the videos, do the work, and those students who do not have such good English skills can go slower. They can stop, pause, repeat. So hopefully we'll see a positive combination of the technologies, not this hybrid we talked about, the Zoom, you know, and face-to-face at the same time, but um, the kind of bringing in the use of video materials, audio materials, online materials to actually be used in the classroom. So, and this is where, you know, almost every student has their own set of headphones, right? Mm. So they can just listen to or watch these videos on their own using their own headphones. And I just want to do a shout out to one of my Zemi students a number of years ago, a woman named Kana, who did some research about, you know, um, she compared whether or not students watching a video and, you know, that's projected into the front of the room versus um, watching the video on their phones and, you know, checking comprehension. Mm-hmm. That there was absolutely no difference. She could find no difference between those two, which means that, wow, you know, students can watch on their own and there's no loss. There's no downside to that that we can tell Measure, right now yeah. in terms of comprehension and understanding. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is that students do seem better at using certain kinds of tech. Although <laughs> the amount of email you get <laughs> definitely increases yeah, and you have to have a way of managing that. And uh, again, something I th- you've talked about before, Tony, which is that they expect immediate responses to email mm-hmm. because they're so used to text messaging, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? They don't understand that, you know, if you get, you know, 50 emails a day, it's going to take, you know, you're not getting a response for, you know, a couple of days. And they don't understand the idea of uh, emailing you a second time to follow up. Instead, you get, after two days or something, you get an email from the office that says the student hasn't heard back from you. Mm-hmm. You're like, you have to write back and say the students, today's Wednesday and the student emailed me on Monday and um, I'm still responding to the emails from Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's those kinds of things. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence in a really good review um, being done over the about the last two years you know will universities look at and actually try to assess what kind of delivery systems are best yeah maybe a little bit early for that because it's the first year was so no one really knew what they were doing and it was also experimental um it's possible that after, you know, maybe somebody's doing it this year, and then maybe after this year we'll see something. But, um, yeah, it would be criminal if someone didn't. I mean, because it was a, um, you know, just, you know, opening the floodgates um, and f- hurting everyone, <laughs> this, this, you know, tsunami of technology washing over everybody. Um, you know, people who did, barely used a computer before being forced to, you know, be, uh, you know, conduct classes on Zoom. And it was, uh, for a lot of people, a real baptism. But fact, we've talked about that and we talked about how, you know, for, for you and me, it's like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. <laughs> this, is, this is fine. Um, I can know, see how this is going to make life easier in certain ways. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, there were some, you know, there, there were some, you know, challenges to learning how to coordinate things and how to optimize, you know, what you do in the classroom. But, 
um, the, the, the tech for, for us or people like us was not big, but for some people it was huge. And so, um, you know, allow that one year buffer, but this year should be seeing something. So we talked about the face to face. Let's, let's move on to the, to the digital, digital stuff. Um, a lot of the classes, um, are still being taught, uh, you know, zoom or on demand and things. And, um, how for so for, for example for you and your teaching, what are you doing? What have you done differently in the second year compared to the first year? I and mean, basically the same type of class. Let's assume we've got like a regular Zoom English communication class. Twenty twenty versus twenty twenty one. What are you doing different, and why? Okay. And is it working? All right. So let's see. So most of the classes are. Zoom sessions. They're not on demand. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let me talk about the Zoom sessions. The biggest change this year, as I mentioned before, is kind of mixing together the on-demand materials into the Zoom sessions. That, that sounds pretty cool, actually. I like that idea. Okay. Yeah. Um, and because the materials are made, so that makes things yeah. e- a lot easier. And I'm going to segue slightly here, which is to say that it takes a long time to make some on-demand material. And compared to the usual, what is it, Tony? If you had a 90-minute class, how much would your prep time be for a new class? Let's say you're doing a new class. Oh, man. I don't know. It would would vary a lot, but it's a lot. It's like I think it's like a four to one. Like that. Right. If I have a ninety-minute class, I'm going to definitely spend six, seven, yeah, something eight that hours. I haven't, something that I haven't, yeah, I haven't taught, taught before. Right? Yeah. And yeah. that's not including just looking through materials. Correct. I have to turn that into like eight to one, nine sure. to one. Sure. No and surprise. And even even for stuff I know, and and you are adept already at at producing video. And, and well, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you're adept. You you know what you're doing. It's like it's not like some like somebody else who maybe okay you know the cam the yeah, Amazon delivers your video cameras like okay how do I work this and what what kind of file does it produce and how do I edit I mean for a lot of people that's a okay that's huge fair huge learning curve right well it was a huge learning curve for me too so that's a good point and I'm reasonably technically adept so you have to budget a lot of time and the Things you're asking me technically what I've done differently? Yeah. Okay. Here's something I've learned. Whatever you do, if you do make one of these videos, if you do make on-demand material, as much as possible, keep any reference to the school, the class name, the week out of the video Mm, so that you can use it for other other classes. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I found is that – I didn't think about this because I've been teaching for so long that, you know, you have your toolbox and your materials and you're moving them, between, you know, using them in different classes. But if students, you ask students to watch a video and it says, hi, this is for week eight of your um, English writing class, first year English writing class, and you're using it in your second year English writing class and it's week three, mm-hmm. the students mm-hmm. get confused. Mm. So the idea is um, – that you would make separate videos. So if you have it, make a video, for example, that is just about the classwork. Yeah, because it's a lot 
easier to like white out that little name at the top of the page on, the, on really, your photocopy really, thing than, yes. than to like try to go in there and, and frig with the video. <laughs> so right. it's, it's a different, it's a completely okay. different thing. Right. So that's something I'm doing differently is those kinds of things. Uh, separating out um, in the videos, for example, uh, you know, classwork and homework stuff. So there's actually a classwork video. Let's say you're you're doing something about um, topic sentences. So you have a classwork video, which is just the explanation of topic sentences. And if you're doing an on-demand class and you're making a video to explain the homework, there's a separate homework video. So you can mix and match very easily there. That's something I'm trying to do is be more organized with the materials. Uh there is a time saver. I think I've talked about this. And uh, if anyone is, for example, uh, or let me start over. I think for on-demand materials, people were doing slideshows, right? You do a PowerPoint presentation with audio or a keynote if you're using Mac mm-hmm. with uh, audio. And what I found out is that I make the slides and – then I have like a video of myself talking and no matter which video editor you make, it's if you, it's a little technical, but if you turn your slides, like your PowerPoint slides, each slide into an image file, a PNG, for example, or keynote, you can then drop each of those slides into the video editing Mm-hmm. And just, mm-hmm. you know, it'll mm-hmm. automatically and then you just have to stretch it out, you know, with the bars on each side. Mm. And it's it makes for a much better video. So the students see you talking. It changes to the slide mm-hmm. and then it goes back to you talking and it changes to the slide. And it's so much easier to edit that than it is to edit the audio of a PowerPoint slideshow, uh-huh. which I just found I just gave up. So what I'm just suggesting is make your slides. And if you want, then record your audio and then just uh, – or, you know, video of yourself talking, which I think students said they like that. They don't like uh, – what was it they said? They don't like just talking and they don't just like slides, but a little bit of both is really nice. Well, of course, nice. of course. I mean, you, the young, you, especially younger kids, they want bam, bam, change it every every 10 right. seconds, right? But it tends to mimic a actual classroom Yeah, yeah. much better. So that is something um, – I just would like to suggest to people, um, I found that I can demand more from students technically Mm. because they're used to using their computers and they're used to bringing the computers to class. That's another difference. I, you know, it's, I have to really reflect on it a lot. Um, I feel like I'm still bumbling through things, you know, a lot of tripping. It's not a clear walk. Uh, I have not quite figured out the homework assignments in a way that optimizes mm. the technology. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, it I'm, makes it makes it a um, a worthwhile uh, endeavor for them, and also makes it manageable um, for scoring. Exactly. The there was a, a big increase when you have an on-demand class. Of course, sure. you're you're asking them for a lot more material. It all shifts uh, you to, to, to yes. homework and assignments yeah. from from classroom yeah. performance. Yeah, here's a technical problem that I really dislike: is that if you teach at more than one school, you they want you to learn more than one learning management system. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? 
I know people. I know people who are actually using Blackboard, Google Classroom, and you know, like the school's proprietary system. Sure. And then yeah, you're, you're talking to one. I mean, I, I did that 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 year. How many? Each did you each have? one. I had four different schools. They all use their own proprietary system. Yeah. So what did? How did you end up solving that problem? Um, I ignored them as and used them as little as possible and went on my own. <laughs> well, what else is new? About surprise! That? Surprise! surprise <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I used it to the extent that I was required to, but as much as I can, you know, I just just you know, I had the channel on YouTube or. You know, make, make you know stuff, make it available and download on 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 you know just my my regular server, um, and uh, and again it was that first year, no, no one knew what they were doing, so the schools really didn't know. And you know, they, they, at first they said, yeah, everything has got to be here, and it's got to here for them to download. It's like okay, and then they're set week two, and all their server crashes every day. Okay, well, okay, don't do that. <laughs> all right, fine. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was it was learning for everybody. It was kind of the, that first year was the wild wild west, um, which you know some people prefer. <clears throat> um, but um, as you were talking about the video, it was just like a fast idea, um, and talk about uh, you know ease of editing and, and use of the uh, the lesson that you're creating for different situations. Um, and I'll put it to you because I because I did not I am not adept at creating video. Mm. Um, or on demand or on demand materials at all for the most part other than just like you know here download this um making those is when you're actually doing the recording and and doing the 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 organization before you even turn the camera on might it might there be an advantage to dividing the production whatever it is the 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 thing that you're building into Smaller units. That, well, that's that, what I meant by the classwork homework segments. Okay, but I'm even smaller. Like, even like smaller. Like the like the smaller part, like the, this the PowerPoint presentation that you're talking about. To instead of having one long section, to have maybe two or three discrete pieces that then might be e- usable yeah, at some future point. Uh, either you know the first two or the second two or the the middle three or or whatever it might be like breaking it down into sections so that they would be it would be easier to recycle them for other purposes. Just oh. a thought. Oh, it's just a thought. <laughs> <clears throat> but I kind of do that. Mm. Uh, there are some logistics involved. First off, uh, the big change from the first year to the second year was I tried to cut down my videos as much as possible to seven to ten minutes each. Sure. Uh-huh. Right, I used to have like twenty minute videos, and I think that was killing the students. Or you know. that's not that easy for you either. <laughs> a twenty minute video is kind of hard. Uh, I you know I can talk a lot, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I think your, the idea is correct. Now, here's the the thing though, is organizing everything and having a system. So, yes, I could, for example, I have like a video that will be on. Just topic sentences. Then there's a video on, let's say, I'm going to use writing because I think writing is like, in many ways, is the easiest class to organize, but in many ways, the most work to teach. But it's easier for me to organize a writing class, let's say, than an oral communication class because I I can see, okay, I have to teach paragraphs. I have to teach introductory paragraphs. I have to teach different kinds of body paragraphs, right? And I have to teach concluding paragraphs, etc. Topic sentence, supporting sentence, detail, example sentences. 
So yes, you can create like a general video about general paragraphs and you create a video on topic sentences. The key there is you'd better make sure your file naming system is pretty consistent so you can mm, find the things mm. you're looking for because here's the problem. Oh, always is, important. Right? right, always important for everything. The problem is you're going to end up with you know, hundreds and hundreds of video files, which take up a lot of, by the way, disk space. So yeah. make mm-hmm. sure you have the disk space. And then remember, you have to back up those videos. Okay. So that's something to think about. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is, um, I just want to toss out as a technical thing, um, is that I did, I discovered that if you do post something to YouTube and you can't find the video, you can download the video from YouTube again. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. that was like <laughs> really a helpful thing to learn, but that takes a <laughs> lifesaver, <long> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, um, when you make your videos and, um, Make sure that they're discrete units if you're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they really have to be modular. That it's That's kind of what I was driving at, right? Make I understand more that, modular, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying that to make it modular takes a lot more work. You have to be a lot more focused. You have to do a lot more prep. Yeah. And you have to then figure out ways that they connect to each other. And usually that's going to be some, you know, talking head video to connect that. So you want, again, your videos, you want them no more really than 10 minutes because it truly is scary when you go to YouTube, by the way, and watch the engagement to see how many minutes of your video students watch. (laughs) They're not watching the whole thing. (laughs) And I think what's happening also is they're communicating to each other and they're going, oh, the key points are at two minutes, 10 seconds, three minutes, you know, 15 seconds. (laughs) So if you're going to make it modular, really plan it out well. And the other thing is decide ahead of time on your slide format. So you always have the same background. You always Mm -hmm, have the same mm -hmm. font. You always have the same positioning. So make your templates. And you need to make a video template so that you know how you start the video and what's, you know, included in each part. Because if you're going modular, everything has to be completely consistent. Otherwise, I've done it where I've, you know, mixed and matched the videos and mm-hmm. it doesn't look right. It doesn't look good. Yeah, it's obvious yeah. that you've, yeah, yeah. you know, strung stuff together. So that's that. Can I can I flip the video thing on one hand to students doing videos? Yeah. Um, yeah don't. Don't. <laughs> it's so much work to watch student videos. And uh-huh. I don't mean work in the bad way that it's work. It just takes a really, really long time. But if you decide that you want students to submit videos, I found out that if you speed it up to like two times regular mm-hmm. speed, That's they sound right. they sound natural. <laughs> they sound like natural speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a really we, interesting we, we, we thing. About um, and um, the, the other the other thing when if you know to have student videos is um that's that's and again in in the this, the covid area it, it's a little bit hard but they but they're good because they can do it on zoom together um group videos and that cuts down on your your scoring time yes. a lot yeah. and um you know it's more communicative they and it's more fun for them uh and it's and it's it's you know equal value and um or or more okay. um but um rather than having Unless, for example, it's a presentation class where, um, you know, each student has to do it individually. But I would say, you know, it's like, no, it's like there's 
rather than have them submit videos for, like for a presentation, the audience is part of it. And so, yeah, if they're going to give presentation, I try if the class isn't too big to have them give presentations, if not to the entire class, to smaller groups and have them do it multiple times to smaller groups in, in, a, in a Zoom session. Um, because I think uh, with the uh, student presentations, the, the that audience feedback is really important and performing in front of an audience is also important. But if you're going to have them do other types of video, um, yeah, having them do group projects uh, is a real uh time saver and um i don't know my i had students do that uh, last year and it was um oh it was it, it was enjoyable mm. but uh not to sit and you know assign like you know have 60 students or 100 students submit a video no no <laughs> no not not 100 individual student videos no 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 yes madness. because you just yeah because you have to just do the math yeah you know, a hundred students making three minutes videos. You're at five hours of uh, viewing. Yeah, and you're just not going to be able to give all of them the, the attention they deserve. You're absolutely, you know, attention's going to wander and things like that. Yeah, um, one of the things that I've that I realized is that students don't know that they can zoom together. <laughs> they have Zoom accounts. They haven't figured out. A lot of them haven't figured out that. Oh, really? That's uh, my students caught on. The ones that didn't—that's one of the things that I taught them. Very right. Early. I had to explain yeah. to them, but this is after a year, right? Mm. They've already zoomed, and I said, "So, yeah. what? I want you guys to make Zoom sessions." And you say, "What?" They—you can see their, you know, the heads tilt, <laughs> you know, that head tilt, the international sign. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said, Are you my poodle? dogs? Can do that. Yeah, dogs can do that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what would I think? The key here technically is I would suggest to people is don't try to be a master of all the tech. Mm. Find out what tech fits you best. Mm. And if it's no tech, I'm sorry, you've got to figure this out. And I know that there are some people who don't like tech, but um, some of the tech really is good. Um, Mastering um, how to make a a slide presentation that includes yourself talking with some clear slides I think is – really highly recommended and that's going to help in the classrooms once we go back face to face yeah and even if you even if you're doing it live right you can do that live in a zoom session you make your presentation we're both are visible right so you you know you're you're sharing your screen specifically as a presentation and you've got your slides and you've got yourself um also because yeah when i was teaching presentations it's like your slides are not your presentation you're the presentation the slides are only there to support what you're saying Yes. Yeah. The. It's a, yeah, we always teach that, right? Your slides mm-hmm. are not the presentation. So, although I've inverted that with, um, you know, my on-demand videos, where the, mm-hmm. the sli- I start with the slides, and that's actually my outline for talking, and so it's kind of more symbiotic that way. But I think we're getting close to how many minutes now, Tony? Yeah, we're, we're we're up there. We're, we're getting we're up close. There. So to let's. Should we move to the predictions part? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? So how? Okay. Um, how, for the digital, how much of the digital stuff is going to permeate like real, real classrooms, face-to-face classroom, live classrooms? Okay. I think that there are going to be different kinds of adaptations. One is it's going to depend on the school's attitude and their openness to innovation. And the other is going to depend on the teacher. I think a lot of 
or no, let me not say a lot of, but there are some teachers who will go back to the classroom and will be happy to be back to face to face so they can use paper again <laughs> and use yeah, their textbook. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. they're going to return to a traditional way of teaching. Hmm. And I don't think anyone's going to stay 100 percent online anymore. Although I don't understand why, for example, large lecture classes sure, where there's no absolutely. interaction by students yeah. well, between what, each other, those should just be on demand. The teacher sure. should, you know, the school should give them like a video camera and a little bit of a crew and they can just, you know, let the students watch those on demand. Yeah. There's no reason to go to. Um, Especially the way so many lecture classes are done here where the teacher's just standing in front of the room reading from notes or a book. Yeah. Well, fortunately, that's really declined since we started. I mean, you remember when we first started teaching, yeah, that, that's, ago, that was, you yeah. would walk past rooms and there would just be the teacher, you know, reading off out of a book. Yeah. And half the class is asleep. Yeah. We don't see that anymore, <laughs> but the half the class is still asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you'll have people who will go back to the traditional way. I think that some people will be maybe at some schools, the schools will figure out, wait a second. The optimal delivery system for this kind of course is online in an on-demand system, and they will use that. I think the most likely outcome is that a lot of the teachers – now I'll say a lot of – most or a significant number of teachers who have developed materials, for example, videos, more PowerPoint slides, uh, maybe some interactive materials, will be bringing those into the classroom. And I'm foreseeing myself, for example, uh, putting up, let's say, one of the videos I've made on a topic. So let's say, again, um, let's say I'm doing open-ended questions and I've made a video with PowerPoint slides for open-ended questions. I can see myself actually projecting that, putting that on a projector through the, right, the classroom sound system and then stopping the video and commenting on my own presentation. You know, it's kind of meta mm -hmm. that way, but saying, okay, stop here. I think what I just said is important and I want you to write this down right now. This is really key. And so there's going to be this kind of weird interplay, I think, between the materials I've made and my actual, you know, in-class presence kind of commenting and kind of almost like emceeing the video. Yeah. And so, right. you know, with these uh, these periodic stops and prompts and things, it's a kind of also a little bit of a wake up. What's going on? Right, exactly. And I can stop the video mm. and then say, okay, now in your groups, write down the key points and things, which I did in the videos. I actually said, okay, I want you to pause the video right now, which is kind of really awkward. You go, okay, pause the video now and write down the three key ideas that I mentioned in the previous section. Hi, welcome back. <laughs> it's like this really weird thing. There's that. Uh, I think that students are going to – I'm going to say have uh, more of a tendency to bring computers to the classroom, but I can already see students just not coming to class with their computers anymore and just having their phones. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether or not there's that tech revolution that people have talked about, the tech change with Japanese students. In terms of uh, they're bringing computers, yeah, but there that's, are. Kind of, that's kind of hard to gauge because just yeah, yes. the whole use of devices is is changing at the same time, and yeah. that, that's that's hard to measure. Yeah, my other prediction is that when it's not automatically done, optimizing for a phone is the really the best way to go. 
Mm-hmm. So videos, um, or let me—I'll give an example. Uh, I use um, Box.com. It's like Dropbox, and they have a really nice upload widget where students can upload their materials. And I actually—you can set the width, how big it is, and how it appears on the screen. And I set that to phones, just by default. Mm-hmm. Right, so that students can, you know, if they want to upload something from their phone, they can do that. Uh, I expect that the phones are going to take on, now that we have more folding phones, so the screens are getting bigger. And, of course, you know, like the iPhones are getting pretty big, too. um, That we'll pretty much be working from phones much more. And that is another kind of strange prediction. Um, how will classroom teaching change? I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, fair. I, think, I think the problem is it's so reactive that by the time changes, um, you know, filter down that it's they're 10 years old. Yeah. So for yeah. example, I think there's a, um, a Max Monka show, uh, you know, education ministry wants some tablets in the classroom elementary school classrooms, right? Mm-hmm. They're starting that push. Well, in five years, how, you know, where are tablets going to be that common? Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, how will classroom teaching change? I don't know. Yeah. With augmented and, reality and virtual reality and what, right, what those, tools well, are augmented, available. Augmented, well, virtual reality, I, I did some research in immersive virtual environments and things. Um, which is using avatars in virtual environments. It's blah, blah, blah stuff. But um, augmented reality, I think, will be really useful, really sure. helpful. Uh, that I'm looking forward to, you know, the uh, having, you know, glasses on and then, you know, it, having information like, okay, you know, the student did really excellent, you know, homework last week, right? You know, <laughs> you can see all that stuff or the student's shy, you know, because it's doing Or just, things. you know, when you're making like you're, the whole idea of what a presentation is, you know, if you have certain those kinds of tools – at hand, your your presentations will be completely different. You won't have slides. You'll have all kinds of you know just you know oh, text yeah. floating around and right. It's going to be and images and you know and, and you know video and all of the part of this thing and floating around. Yeah, it can be pretty amazing. Right. And student projects. Yeah, man, this will be great. It's good. that's going to be fun because some yeah. of the students just really run with the stuff. Sure. They do stuff that you're kind of like, wow, I would never have thought of that in a million years. Now, the question also becomes just, you know, with all this tech, with two years of COVID and with Omicron, and I'm going to go out on a limb here again and think, I just don't know if we're going to be back completely face-to-face in April. I just, you know, think that this thing's just going to keep mutating and we're going to keep getting surprised for a long time. I think you're Uh, right. Yeah. Um, And will it make a difference um i think that the people i know the teachers i know um all are doing their best to adapt and do as good jobs as possible i think in that sense those people will find tools and techniques to adapt universities as a whole i think are slow to change and that their tendency will be to return to the status quo as much as possible uh I, you know, I guess I'm a little cynical, sure. just, uh, 
you know, um, based on, you know, education is theater and change is theater and yeah. changing just to show that you're changing. Uh, but I think there's going to be some interesting tech changes in the next few years. Um, so, for example, if something like augmented reality comes in, I'm looking down five years down the line, that people, because of the, the COVID situation, are more confident that they can adapt to new technologies. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. more – they have experience using tech in the classroom, let's say, where all, many people would not have had that. So I think there's going to be a better uptake of new technologies in the future. I think that's one of the things that will be positive in the long term and that because people have experience with technology that they'll be able to assess the tech and say, ah, I can use it this way. I can't use it this way. It'll work for this. It won't mm. work for that. Mm -hmm. So that people now have that experience because when you're in the beginning, you're overwhelmed. You don't know. And so then you start using things just because, you know, it's kind of like a, um, when you first start using PowerPoint, you spend all your time like making all those transitions and uh, <laughs> animations and stuff like that, mm, right? Mm. Remember? <laughs> and then after you've used PowerPoint for a while, you just you just have images and some text, and you have absolutely no transitions, no animations. Hopefully, you, right? <laughs> but, but you learn, and I think that's what's happening with Zoom. That's going to mm. happen with uh, um, face-to-face -face classes. It's going to happen with tech. The one difference. And I think this has to be dealt with is the complete lack of student privacy now. You know, that when students are you going through LMSs, they're, mm -hmm. all that data is available to them. When did they log on? When did they log off? How much time did they spend? When did they submit their homework? Um, for example, my students were shocked when I showed them that Microsoft Word, for example, sure. under statistics, mm -hmm. shows me when they opened the file, when they made the file, how many times they've edited the file, how much time they've spent on it. I try to explain you have no privacy when things are online and you're using all these online tools. So I hope that um, there is a movement in the schools to increase student privacy for um, the use of like learning management systems. Yeah, and that students can't be tracked. That uh, that would be a, a tough battle, I think. So I, they, yeah. I think you'd meet a lot of resistance. I don't think that they're maybe that sympathetic to student privacy in that way. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's wrong for a teacher to be able to see when a student opened up a textbook and when they closed a textbook. If I were a student, I would really hate that. Well, sure, I would too. Yeah. So I think that's another. That's where it's. I think um, it's a prediction how it might make a difference. But overall, um, I think the teachers will adapt. The people I know who I work with will adapt, will make changes. The schools will try to go back to the traditional teaching ways, minimize change, and make things as comfortable as possible for the students and the teachers. So that's my prediction. Yeah. And my my only thought oh, – go. go ahead, please. So my only thought with that is that you know, if – you know, worst case scenario, this continues for fully another year or, or possibly two. Um, so it'll be four years. Um, I don't know how many folks will remember the status quo. <laughs> you know, after after a certain amount of time, this the, the, the new reality becomes reality, and it's just what people are used to. And so I'm very curious um, if that should happen exactly, how that will 
uh, unfold. But again, as you said, there's, there's, we don't know. We have no way of knowing. That's an interesting point. I think we're going to have our first generation of students. You might have Actually, a whole. We we are, it's very possible first. you have like students who did a whole four years of university with mostly a you know virtual classroom. Well, junior college yeah. students and oh, um, Semon Gakko students, right, at two-year yeah. schools, they're going to complete their entire, yep. you know, post-high school experience online. Yeah. So that's one generation. I think it was Niels Bohr, someone who said science advances one funeral at a time. Mm. And I think that if we have a, four years' worth of students, an entire group of students, a cohort that have gone through totally online – and then a lot of those are going to become teachers. <laughs> right. So I think there's some – you're right. There's some norms. And I think after four years, teachers will have adapted. And uh, that would be interesting. So maybe you're right, you know, that it will become the new normal. Well, we will see. We shall see because both of us think that uh, April's not looking too positive right now. Not right now. Not okay. Right now. It looks looks pretty grim. All right. Okay. So um, next month we got something fun, huh? Um, you want different? A, yeah, different. So again, we got some. We have some guests, and uh, this was uh, your thing, Charles. So, so what what did you what did you do with these guys? Okay. Um, we have two program coordinators and talking about what it's like to be a program coordinator because we've always talked about teaching what it's like to be a teacher. And you and I have both coordinated programs in the past, but I think that we've never really interviewed or talked with people who are coordinating and what it's like from the coordinator's perspective to be teaching and working with teachers. So we have Nat and George from Kindai who are going to be talking about what it's like to coordinate a pretty large program and what their experiences are, how they approach it, their values, and uh, I think they have a lot of interesting insights. And it's a if you have always wondered what your coordinator's thinking or what is going through the mind of a coordinator, or even why are they doing this, this is a good chance for you to find out. Yeah, and they're they're just interesting, nice guys, hmm. right? They're really, really interesting, um, down to earth, practical people. The um, you know, it's not a you know, uh, an intellectual approach based on research studies. It's these are people who are working with people and, you know, care about people. So yeah, it's I very, think, very interesting uh, to you know, listen to the different perspectives. Yeah, it's a very uh, different perspective from a hmm. classroom teacher. Yep. yep. Right. And how they have to, um, you know, all the, the, the strings they're pulling and, you know, the, the gears they're oiling, for example, right? It's like you really are. This is what it's like inside the machine. Hmm. So. That's what we have scheduled for our next podcast. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's wrap it up. I'm Charles so, Wiz. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. I'm Charles Wiz. Happy New Year. <laughs> <I feel laughs> like... that's it. Denny Crane. Isn't that it from the um, Boston <laughs> yeah. Legal where you go, yeah. Denny Crane, just say his name. Anyway, Happy New Year, everyone. We yeah. hope that 2022 is better than 2021. We said that last year. <laughs> it's got to be better. <laughs> We won't make that mistake today. <laughs> I'm not going to. We'll see. We I said see. hope. I yeah. said hope. I said hope. Hope springs eternal. Yes. Okay. All so right. you are 
I am Tony Silva still. <laughs> that and I am changed. still Charles Wiz. Right. I wish that would change. <laughs> I just wish I could be somebody else. And we're two teachers talking, and you know where to find us. Very good. Okay. Well, Tony, thank you very much, and uh, Happy New Year. 